Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. We've been in a series through the book of Psalms, and we started in order with the first five Psalms, but the last couple weeks we've been jumping around a little bit. The last couple weeks we were in Psalm 22. It was a Psalm that David wrote, but he wrote it a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, yet it was a Psalm that was about the crucifixion of Jesus. So we walked through that Psalm for a couple of weeks, and it also guided our time of worship this past Good Friday. And today, on this Resurrection Sunday, we are going to jump into Psalm 16. We began our service this morning with a reading from Acts chapter 2, where Peter said that David wrote the words of Psalm 16 with the resurrection of Jesus in mind. And so, on this Resurrection Sunday, that's the psalm we're going to turn our attention to. Uh, Some have even called Psalm 16 an Easter psalm. Uh, So with that, let's begin by reading uh, Psalm 16 together. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God and profitable for us and come with the very authority of the Lord Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word from Psalm 16. The Holy Spirit says, a miktam of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, I've titled this sermon, The Path of Life. The Path of Life. As we celebrate Resurrection Sunday today, we need to understand that we are celebrating an historical event, but we're not just celebrating an historical event. We're not just looking back. We celebrate today not just that Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. We celebrate because Jesus is alive today. Our king is alive today. And it's also not just that we are looking back and celebrating something that happened to someone else. We are celebrating Resurrection Sunday 
Because if Jesus is alive today, that means he can transform your life and my life today. Because Jesus is alive, you can find life in him. In Psalm 16, we see that David trusted God with his life. He lived with unshakable confidence because he knew his life was in the hands of the living God. He lived with unshakable joy because he lived his life in the presence of an all-satisfying God. And what we're going to see as we walk through Psalm 16 today is that you can have what David had. You can have that unshakable confidence. You can have that unshakable joy. It can be yours because Jesus is alive today. It can be yours because this isn't just a day that we look back. It's a day that Jesus is alive now. And if Jesus is alive, he can transform your life today. Because Jesus is alive you can find life in him. David begins this psalm in verse 1 by asking God to preserve him. And what we'll see as we go on is really the rest of the psalm unpacks uh, this one verse in two parts. But before we get to those two parts, let me look at verse 1 with you. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David asks God to preserve him. You know, we live under constant threat of loss. Everything we experience in this world is temporary. Pleasure is temporary. Relationships are temporary. Life itself is temporary. And the best we can do is figure out how can I make this last as long as possible. And, you know, David may have had many things in mind when he asked God to preserve. He might have had in mind, uh, preserve my kingship so I can continue to lead God's people as their king. He might have had in mind, you know, preserve our, our nation, the nation of Israel, so that we can continue to live long in this land that you've given us. But ultimately, the context of this psalm indicates that David is asking God to preserve his life, to make his life last. And even as we acknowledge that, we need to understand he's not just asking for quantity of life. He's also asking for quality of life. He didn't just want to live long. He wanted to live well. David desires a long life and a good life. And so what does he do? He takes refuge in God. He counts on God to give him the life that he is looking for. And he counts only on God for this life. The rest of Psalm 16, like I said, unpacks this first verse. And in verses 2 through 6, David describes finding life in God who is his refuge. And in verses 7 through 11, David describes enjoying life in God as he preserves him. So let's look first at finding life in God in verses 2 through 6. 
David describes his devotion to God in verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As you're reading your Bible, whenever you see Lord with small capital letters like that, it's standing in for the name Yahweh, the personal name of God. The word Lord with lowercase letters in this verse is just the word Lord or Master. And so we can paraphrase what David says as, I say to Yahweh, you are my Master. David understood that the good life is not when he calls the shots. The good life is when God is in charge. And not only does King David say that Yahweh is his master. He says he has no good but him. Of all the things in David's life that could have been considered good, family, friends, possessions, experiences, status, power, none of them could hold a candle to the good that was found in his God. And so, he takes refuge in God alone. He finds his life in God alone. As David continues to describe finding his life in God, he expresses his faith in God next in terms of how he views other people. Uh, So first in verse 3, he says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So David himself has taken refuge in God, has found his life in God alone. And because of this, he also finds delight in everyone else who has taken refuge in God alone, in those who have found their life in God, uh, whom he refers to here as the saints, the, the people of God. You know, nothing builds a bond between people quite like a mutual love. You may have even had the experience of meeting a stranger that you'd never met before, but you find out that you had a mutual friend, and all of a sudden you feel like you're best friends with this person, even though you've never met them, because you both admire this other person so much. Well, David loves God, and therefore he loves the people who love God. And even as we stand here today and gather uh, with the people of God, I'm just reminded, and if you, if you are Uh, If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, you know just what a a special thing it is to be around the people who love Jesus. Uh, Isn't it so good to gather with those who know the love that you have found in Jesus? David loves God, and so he loves those who love God. But then in verse 4, he turns his attention to another group of people. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So David turns his attention from the saints to those who run after a false god. A false god is anything that we run to to give us what only the one true living God can give us. A false god isn't just uh, uh, the, the, the leader of a religion or a little idol that you can form out of wood or stone. An idol can be another human. An idol can be an experience. An idol can be any number of things. It's anything that we run to to give us what only the one true living God 
can actually give us. And David looks at those who chase after false gods. He looks at their lives, and all he sees is sorrow. And not just sorrow, multiplied sorrow. Like thirsty people running to dry wells. And so David sees this, and he expresses his allegiance to Yahweh, the one true living God. He says, I am not going to participate in the worship of these false gods. I don't even want these false gods' names on my lips. I have no good but you, God. And so I am going to find refuge in you alone. I'm going to find life in you alone. I'm going to find what I am looking for because only you can give it. Well, David goes on to describe finding his life in God in verses 5 and 6. And as he does, he speaks in terms that echo the book of Joshua. At the end of the book of Joshua, Israel has just entered the promised land. And each of the tribes of Israel gets a portion of the promised land as their inheritance. And the land was divvied up by casting lots. Well, with that in mind, listen again to how David describes God in verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines, think boundary lines, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When David describes how rich he is. If he wants you to know how good he has it, he doesn't point to his property. When David wants you to know how good he has it, he doesn't point to his 401k. He points to his God. His God is the one who is his greatest possession. Yahweh is his supreme treasure. So again, in this first half of Psalm 16, David describes finding life in God. God is his master. God is his only good. He delights in those who love God. He won't chase after false gods who only bring sorrow. Instead, he has made Yahweh, God, his supreme treasure. He has found his life, his life in God alone. So let me ask you, where are you looking for life? What are you counting on to give you the life that you long for? Are you running to that which only multiplies your sorrows? Do you think, well, if, if I just had blank, then I would be happy. But then you get blank, and you're just not quite as satisfied as you thought you would be. Well, you need to know you are never going to find the satisfaction that you are looking for until you have found refuge in Jesus Christ, until you have found your life in him. Uh, maybe you even are experiencing sorrow, multiplied sorrow, as David says here. 
and you've been experiencing this just this, this dissatisfaction, this sorrow, and, and you don't even really know why. You haven't experienced a loss. You're not in pain or suffering. By all accounts, on paper, your life seems to be pretty good, or at least you've got all the check marks on your sheet of what the world says you ought to have to have a good life, yet you feel like your sorrows are multiplying. Well, it might be that the reason is you are trusting in a false God to give you happiness. You may believe that the good life is found out there, uh, out in in stuff. Uh, The good life is found in in experiences. The the good life is found in pleasure. Uh, The good life is found in people. Uh, The good life is found in achievements in your life or in your career. But you will never find the life that you were meant to live until you find your life in Jesus. Until Jesus is your Lord, like David says here. Until you can say you have no good but Jesus. Until Jesus is your supreme treasure. The good life begins not out there. The good life begins when Jesus does a work in your heart. When he changes you from the inside out. And when Jesus becomes your very life. You might be asking, well, what's so great about life in Jesus? Well, thanks for asking that question, because that's exactly what David goes on to describe in the rest of this psalm. He describes finding life in God. And now he, he describes enjoying life in God. In verses 2 through 6, he was finding life in God, finding refuge in God, placing his hope in God. And in verses 7 through 11, he describes enjoying life in God. He's already expressed his total devotion to Yahweh God, how he is his supreme treasure. And as David goes on, now he's describing why Yahweh is so good, why God is worthy of being his supreme treasure. In verse 7, he says, life in God is good because God speaks. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. At key moments in David's life, as scripture records, uh, David turned to God for counsel. He asked God, what do I do? And God spoke to him. David found the wisdom that he was looking for in God's word. And God's counsel to him not only came in that form, but as David describes here, his counsel came by night as his own heart instructed him. And it seems here that he's describing a a Psalm 1 verse 2 experience. That verse says that the man who really lives the good life is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So David listens to God's word during the day, and he speaks the truth of God to himself in his heart. The good life is found through knowing what God says, treasuring it, and living according to it. And praise God, we have the written word of God completed for us 
And we can hear the voice of God and the counsel of God in this book every time we open its pages. The good life is found through knowing what God says, treasuring what God says, and living according to what God says. And the flip side of that is that you need to understand is the good life is not found outside of God's word. You can't have the good life in God and live against his word. The good life that is found in God is found by knowing what God says, treasuring it, and living according to it. Uh, God preserves us through his word. Even just as David prays in Psalm 16, in Psalm 119.92, that psalmist says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. God preserves his people through his word. But not only that, God guides us along the path of life through his word. And that same psalm, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. David enjoyed the path of life by enjoying God's word. David goes on in verse 8 and he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David finds confidence in the presence of his God. He describes Yahweh as being in front of him and beside him. And because his God is with him, he stands firm. Just consider the confidence in that phrase, I shall not be shaken. You can take away David's possessions, and he's not shaken. You can take away David's health, and he is not shaken. You could take away David's loved ones, he wouldn't be shaken. You could even threaten David's life, and he wouldn't be shaken. Why? Because David had taken refuge in his God, who cannot be shaken. And he knows that this God will preserve him. Trying to find refuge in anything else will leave you shook. If you find your refuge in possessions and they are taken away, you will be shaken. If you find your refuge in health, and your health is taken away, you will be shaken. If you find your refuge in people, and the people are taken away, you will be shaken. But if you find refuge in the God who will never be shaken, you will never be shaken. And that unshakable stability that David finds in his God leads him to say this in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. David is filled with joy because of this security that God provides for him. He even has such confidence that he goes as far as saying that the life of his physical body is dwelling secure. He has hope that his very life will be preserved because he has found refuge in God. 
And he goes on to describe just the extent of this in verse 10. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David is confident that God will preserve his life, both soul and body. He says that God will not abandon his soul to Sheol. Sheol uh, is a Hebrew word referring to the, the realm of the dead, where our souls go when we die. And David is confident that God is not just going to leave his soul in spiritual limbo when he dies. But also he says that God will not let his body experience corruption. David is confident that God is not just going to let his body rot in the ground. But David did die. His body is in the ground right now. So we can get all excited about David's hope and confidence, but did God not preserve him like he thought he would? Was David wrong to have this kind of confidence? No. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Let's revisit that passage that we began our service with. As Doug said, Acts 2 records the day of Pentecost. It was the day that the Holy Spirit first came to the disciples of Jesus. And uh, as the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, they begin to speak the mighty works of God. It causes quite a commotion. People uh, all, from all around come and swarm around them and are asking what is going on, and it gives Peter the chance to preach. And uh, let me just read a part of what he preaches in Acts 2, starting in verse 22 and going through verse 33. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Good Friday. Verse 24, Resurrection Sunday. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my, my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or Sheol. You will not let, uh, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. There's a lot to unpack there, and let me just sum it up for you quickly. As David wrote Psalm 16, this passage that we've been looking at this morning, as David wrote Psalm 16, he was not just describing his own personal experience. He was writing as a prophet. He was writing not just a a song that would tell the story about his own little life. He was writing scripture, knowing that God had a grand plan. David was the king of God's people, the nation of Israel. And in 2 Samuel 7, God promised David that he would give him an eternal dynasty, an eternal kingdom, a never-ending line of kings that would come from David as his descendants. And in fact, God promised David one particular descendant who would be king forever, the Christ. And David wrote Psalm 16 with that descendant in mind. As David wrote Psalm 16, he understood that God would not abandon the Christ to the grave. David understood that God would not let the Christ's body see corruption. That descendant, the Christ, is Jesus. But Jesus is not just another man. He is the Holy One that David refers to in Psalm 16.10. Jesus is fully man, but he is also fully God. There is one God, and he exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that one God created the universe and everything in it. Everything you've ever experienced in your life, it comes from this one God. And this one God created even you and me. And he created us not to be far from us. He created us to be near to us. He created us to experience his presence. He created us to experience fullness of joy in him. He created us to have our life vitally tied to him. He created us to experience fullness of joy, pleasures at his right hand forever. But we rebelled against this God. We rejected the God who made us to find life in him. We've all rebelled against this God by sinning against him. By breaking his law, by going against the counsel of his word. And for that rebellion, we deserve the punishment of death. We deserve to be away from the presence of God, separated from God, far from the pleasure found in his presence. But God made a plan to redeem rebels. God the Son became a man, a man named Jesus, fully God and fully man. 
He lived a perfectly sinless life. He walked the path of life that we were supposed to walk. He followed the counsel of God like we were supposed to follow the counsel of God. And for that, he deserved to enjoy life in the presence of God forever. But instead, Jesus was crucified. He took the punishment of death that you and I deserve because of our rebellion, our sins. And the good news of Easter is that it was not possible for him to be held by that death. He died fully and completely. He fully paid the price that our sins deserved in his death. And that death was not the end for Jesus. It was not possible for him to be held by the grave. God raised him up. He died, but his soul was not abandoned to the grave. He died, but his body did not see corruption. His flesh dwells secure. Jesus is alive today. He's exalted at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And here's the amazing thing. Because Jesus died and rose again, he can raise you from the dead too. Because Jesus is alive today, you can have life in him. He can raise you and me from the dead. And that is true in two important ways. First, Jesus can raise us from the dead spiritually. Uh, the Bible teaches in Ephesians 2 that on our own, we are all spiritually dead because of sin. Because we live for ourselves and because we just do whatever we want to do and whatever we think is right and whatever makes us happy instead of living for God and what he wants us to do and what makes him happy, the Bible says we are all spiritually dead and deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus, because he rose from the dead, we can be made alive spiritually with him. Even though we deserve God's wrath, he offers us his mercy. He offers us his grace. Jesus wants to do a work in your heart to change you from the inside out. Jesus wants to give you a new life in him. He wants to raise you from the dead with him. And you don't have to do anything to earn this life of eternal pleasure in God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. You can have your heart transformed. You can have new life in Jesus. And it's a free gift that is received through faith in him. But there's another way that Jesus raises people from the dead. Jesus can also raise us up physically. Every person who places their faith in Jesus and receives new spiritual life will also be raised from the dead physically when Jesus returns. Just like Jesus was physically dead and his lungs 
began to breathe again, and his heart began to beat again, and his eyes opened, and he walked on two feet out of the grave and was physically alive, that physical resurrection, Jesus makes possible for you and me after death. When Jesus returns, he will raise his people from the dead, and we will live forever with him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. As we celebrate Jesus' resurrection on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate not that he's the only one to rise from the dead. We celebrate because he was just the first to rise from the dead. And when Christ returns, everyone who belongs to him, everyone who has placed faith in him, everyone who has found their life in him will be able to say, you did not abandon my soul to the grave. You didn't let my body see corruption. In that day, Psalm 1610 will finally be true for David. In that day, Psalm 1610 will be true for everyone who belongs to the Christ. And so, if we find refuge in Christ, we can have hope in this life. We can have hope for the next life. Today, even as we groan, as we suffer, as we experience the fleeting and temporary nature of life that we just can't seem to hold on to, as we ache, as we cry, we can have hope. We can have hope even in the face of death because we look forward to a resurrection. When Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When death will be no more. When pain will be no more. When he will raise our bodies to be like his glorious body. Never to die again. If we belong to Jesus. So the question is, do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? You can belong to Christ. If you bow to Jesus as your Lord, if you accept Jesus as your supreme treasure, if you trust in Jesus to give you a new life, to raise you from the dead. And if you do belong to Christ, listen to the life that Jesus provides in the last verse of Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because God raised Jesus from the grave and raised him to the path of life, Jesus offers you and me an invitation to join him on the path of life. And that path of life begins now. Right now, you can walk the path of refuge in Jesus. Right now, you can walk the path of following the counsel that Jesus gives. Right now, you can walk the path with your Lord at your right hand. Right now, you can walk the path of not being shaken. Right now, you can walk the path of joy and security. If you trust in Jesus, you can experience his presence today. When we trust in Jesus, just as we read in Acts 2, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. We can experience fullness of joy in his presence even now. Everything else that you run to for satisfaction will only multiply your sorrows. But in Jesus, we can have fullness of joy. And that path of life, that joy in his presence that we can experience even now will only continue on the other side of our death. In fact, it'll get better. If you trust in Jesus as your refuge, he will preserve you for all of eternity. If you trust in Jesus, the path of life that begins today will continue after death. And we will experience pleasures in Jesus for all of eternity, forevermore. Because Jesus is alive, you can find life in him. You can find life in him. If you turn from sin, if you turn from living for yourself, and you turn to Jesus. You can find life in him if you trust in him to save you from your sin, to transform your heart. From the inside out. And if you have any questions about how you can have this life in Jesus, please don't leave here today without talking to someone about it. I'll be available down here in the front afterward if you have any questions, if you want someone to pray for you, if you want to talk. Uh, maybe you came with someone today. Talk to them uh, before you leave about this life in Jesus and how you can experience it for yourself. I, I mean, honestly, there's a room full of people here who have had their lives transformed by Jesus and know the kind of joy that David describes. Don't leave here today without talking to someone about how the life that David describes in Psalm 16 can be yours. Make Resurrection Sunday 2022 your Resurrection Day where Jesus gives you new life in himself. Because Jesus is alive, we can find new life in him. And if we find life in him, he will preserve us. He will be our refuge. He will guide us by his counsel. We will not be shaken. We will rejoice. We will dwell secure. We will not be abandoned to the grave. We will experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the presence of our Lord as we walk with him on the path of life. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray 
that David's words would awaken in us an appetite for life in Christ. Lord, that we would be more than intrigued, but that, Lord, we would refuse to find satisfaction in anything else until we know the satisfaction that David had in you. Lord, I pray that we would not settle for a lesser God who will only multiply our sorrows. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would find their life in you. Lord, I'm asking you to do something that we can't do for ourselves, that I can't do, that no person can do, that only you can do through your son, Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit at work. For you are the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and you can raise dead souls from the grave right now. And so, Lord, I ask that you would transform hearts by the power of your gospel, transform lives by the life that is found in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Lord, even as we respond to your word through song and meditate on the truth that we have just heard about, Lord, I pray that you would work the truth of this passage deeper into our hearts, Lord, that those who know the path of life would find even greater and deeper joy in you, and those who don't would long for it and seek it in you, that they might find it in you. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.